1: This is Dr. Susan Hudson with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I am here with my lovely co-host, Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. Hi, everybody! And Dr. Carrie Bedient from Fertility Center of Las Vegas. Hey, how
2: y'all doing?
1: Doing great, doing great, and we have the pleasure of having a guest today, Dr. Dottie Overman. Hey, Dottie. Hi. How are you doing
3: today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you?
1: Doing well, doing well. And Dottie is a family practice physician in my hometown and the town that I currently practice in, in New Braunfels, Texas. And she has previously worked for the Camel County Health Authority for 30 years, which I think is an
3: amazing gift to our community. Thank you. Um, It's been interesting. Over that 30 years, I've been part of a hepatitis A outbreak and a meningitis outbreak in a high school. And of course we had H1N1 oh, and yeah. so Zika, yeah. you know, Ebola. And then of course the big one was uh, COVID-19.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, we are going to pick your brain today in a little bit. All right. But we were chit-chatting a little bit beforehand and we were talking about kind of fun things to do around here. And you mentioned the snake farm.
2: Which I would like to interject as as a fun thing to do. <laughs> I am not sure that a snake farm um, would... I mean, interesting, I'll give you that. Fascinating, uh, creepy, slithery, and slimy. I will give you all of those things. And keep in mind, I live in the Southwest and I grew up in Arizona and I live in Vegas now. Like, creepy crawlies are are part of the deal here just like they are in Texas. But to willingly go to a snake farm seems um, like a special act of unusual punishment.
3: (laughs) Well, let me tell you about the snake farm. So the snake farm has actually been part of New Braunfels, Texas for many years. It was around when I was a kid.
1: So wow. it has probably at least been here for 40 years, if not longer.
0: Another reason to come visit you, Susan, in New Braunfels. Exactly. Another reason to
3: not. <laughs> well, now it's the snake farm and zoo. Yes. When you first go in, they have the snakes. And it's just like at the zoo. They're in the glass cages. So you can view them. They're not in the open crawling around. But when you go to the back, it is a it's a small zoo. And it's wonderful because you're much closer to the animals, but it is safe. And I take my grandchildren there and they love it. And uh, when we were there last time, they brought out some raw meat and gave it to the lion and the lion roared. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> oh my goodness! So Lions and snakes loved it. Oh my gosh! It was so fun.
1: So so nowadays
3: it's it it is a zoo.
1: Like they have a preponderance of reptiles, but now I believe it got bought by a different individual. I think about ten years ago and they've really developed it into a small zoo. So just like Dottie said, it, it's, it's neat because you're, you're closer and it's a little bit more personal than when you go to your big zoos.
0: So how are you close to a snake without it being enclosed in your safe? How, how does that
3: work? It's behind glass. Oh, okay. Behind glass. behind glass. Okay. And so if any of you are Americana, country, Western fans, there's a, an artist called Ray Wiley Hubbard. And Has a famous song called Snake Farm. Ah, interesting. (laughs) He lives here in New Braunfels.
2: (laughs) So, Susan, what I want to know is, when you were a kid and you went there, and it was just the snake farm, were you going? Were you being taken there because you were good and this was a treat, or because you were bad and this was punishment?
1: It was normally on something like a Girl Scouting trip when I was a kid. However, nowadays when my nieces come to visit. Like it's usually once or twice a year we have to make a trip to the snake farm because everybody thinks it's so much fun. And it's just, it's not an overwhelming zoo experience, I think is the best part of it. We had something similar when I was in um, fellowship in Rochester, Minnesota. There was a kind of zoo that was a similar type of fashion as this. And it's just, it's, it's neat when I think zoos tend to be gigantic. You know, I think of the San Antonio zoo and San Diego zoo and
2: they're ginormous and you got to pack a lunch and it's huge and everybody's cranky by the end of the day.
1: Yeah. It's an exhausting event. Whereas the snake farm, you can go do for half a day and you're still okay to like do other
0: things so so do they mix like poisonous snakes and non-poisonous snakes or do they have them like in different cages because one will eat the other or how does that work they're all in individual cages oh okay but they're but they probably have room to slither around though in their cages right
1: space it's it's humanely done it's 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 a it's it's a good place it's a good place
0: very cool
1: note to self next
2: in-person podcasting session Nashville or Vegas again
1: (laughs) oh I'm telling you we live I literally always say this like I live in Hallmarkville like the movies you see on Hallmark movies granted not everybody has Hallmark lives
0: Uh but
1: I live in one of those towns that they would film in
0: but they don't film snake farms in those movies though right
1: no, but there's so much more <laughs> y'all gotta come i'm telling you
2: the next pandemic special instead of the tiger king is gonna be the snake king
1: and <laughs>
2: it's all it's gonna be all about susan's life living near the snakes okay so let's move on to the question of the week um this is a question from someone who is a patient she says i have had my egg retrieval now, what can I do to best prepare my body for a hopeful transfer? That is, what can I do besides relax with a glass of red wine from my wine advent calendar? It sounds like there's a Costco near her. So, you know, besides the, and, and we talked about this on a previous episode of anything that you're doing to prepare for pregnancy, you know, we typically tell people to, to obviously lay off the alcohol um, because if you want to do it while you're pregnant, we want you to stop with those activities prior to pregnancy. Now start, you know, having some, some wine before you even start your medications after your eggs are out, really probably not going to make a huge difference. Um, as long as it's, it's in moderation, but, uh, what other suggestions
0: do you guys have? I mean, prenatal vitamins. So like you said, you start on everything you're going to as if you're going to be pregnant. So prenatal vitamins, any supplement your doctor has told you to take. Um, Some situations for some patients, we have them start on aspirin. so anything like that, I think, is important to do. And I think just psychologically, though, I think, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do other than just, I tell my patients, do whatever you can to have fun and get your mind off of it. Because I do think stress and anxiety are probably not a good thing to have. So anything you can do to minimize that, I think, is is a good idea. What do you think, Susan?
1: I think, um, like you said, doing all the smart things, if you're entering into flu season or in flu season, it's a great time for both you and your partner to get the flu shot. Um, realize that people who get seriously ill from the flu each year tend to be old people, babies, and pregnant women. And we're talking about things like hospitalization and sometimes even death. And so it's serious. We, we want to really protect all of our patients and the more people around you that can get vaccinated, the better, um, because of something called herd immunity, um, which we're going to, I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit later in this episode. Um, but I also think it's a great time to pamper yourself, like go get a massage, go for a run. If you want to like, just do something nice for yourself to, to take the edge off. You've done the hardest part of any fertility treatment. You, the, going through the, the stimulation, the egg retrieval, that was the hardest thing. Like the stuff that you're going to do. I mean, it's not easy. No fertility treatment is easy, but it's a whole lot easier than what you've already been through. So kind of take that moment and take a breath.
3: So I wanted to ask you something. Uh, being that COVID is so rampant in our communities, I'm having all of my patients take vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc. And how are y'all with those as far as your infertility patients?
0: I tell all my fertility patients to take vitamin D just routinely because we think that may have some benefit. But actually, I would defer to you, the fami- family practitioner. That's a good question for you. Should I be telling my patients to be taking zinc and <laughs> vitamin C? And why is that important? I, I, I know that people do that. Why, why are those important? In what levels, please? Yes, give us dosages.
3: <laughs> yeah, so good dosages for preventative doses is would be for vitamin C, at least 500 milligrams a day. Vitamin D, probably 2,000 units. And and we usually do the vitamin D3. Mm -hmm. And then for zinc, 50 milligrams once a day. Now, for our patients that actually do get COVID and are sick with COVID, uh, we double all of those to twice a day. So um, all of them have anti-inflammatory effects and help your immune system. And, you know, there is more research on COVID-19 that has occurred in such a rapid time that it's just miraculous. But there is actually research that backs up uh, using C and D and zinc and patients who do become infected with covid they have much less serious illness. So I think it would be very important.
2: Is there a preventative component to it as well or just minimizing symptoms after they have it?
3: Preventative also. Huh, interesting.
2: Okay.
1: So Dottie, I have a question. So for our listeners today, we have asked Dr. Overman to join us to talk, talk to us about COVID vaccine, which obviously we're going to end up <laughs> getting sidelined on some other things. But I saw something on Facebook this morning that was actually quoting you recommending some other type of supplement or medication um, for the prevention of COVID-19. Do you know what that might have been?
3: Okay, well in your in your world you would not be able to use this. <laughs> okay, good to know. Okay, so um so I have a Facebook page and it's it's all, it's all about COVID 19 for our community. And basically um one of the things I just recently talked about was ivermectin. That was it. And ivermectin is can be used as a preventative like if someone was exposed or they're in a high risk job and if you're if you've been exposed or in a high risk job there is a specific dose that you would take once a week, okay? And there actually has been a research done in a hospital where they had 800 staff members took it and got a great result. So there's actually 30 studies on ivermectin and they're all positive results. So the doctors are excited about it and actually most of us are using it. We want the NIH to support this. They drag their feet because there's such a big bureaucracy, Um, but there's a lot of good support for it. But the big no-no is not in pregnancy, and not if you're planning a pregnancy. So
1: what is ivermectin? Because it's not something that we normally obviously use because our business is making babies. But what has it historically been used for?
3: It's historically been used actually to treat infections with worms. So it can be used for pinworms and then uh, internationally around the, the globe for other types of infections with worms. Okay. Very cool.
0: Yeah. When I went on a a medical mission trip one time, any time the patient would come in for something, they'd also get some ivermectin or anti, it may, may not have been that, but but anti-parasitic, but I do remember that one. Yeah.
3: So it's, it's a drug that's been around for probably 50 years and it's been used endlessly uh, around the world in many doses and, and uh, for, for, for many types of infections. But Uh, There's some really good research on COVID-19, but it is not recommended in pregnancy or if you're planning a pregnancy. So let's dive into the vaccine stuff.
2: What can you tell us about um, just the basics about the vaccine and how it works? Because This vaccine is very different than most other standard vaccines.
3: Yes, I, I can tell you about that. So the front runner in this this giant race to get a vaccine out, which is also just an, another miraculous thing that is happening um, around the world, is the Pfizer vaccine. And basically, this past week it was approved by the FDA. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> it's, it's just huge, and uh, Pfizer is actually already shipping it out. And I guess one thing I want people to know is that even though there's a lot of talk about how fast it was pushed out, all of the research was done in the normal amount of time. What they cut out was all the red tape and all the waiting that goes on as you're waiting for agencies to approve and to get the go ahead on the next step and then getting in to get the approval. So What they did was they just cut out all of that red tape so it could just progress right through from development to the phases of trials to production.
1: So in other words, this was a process that was perhaps expedited but not hurried. Correct. So not compromising the quality and integrity of the research that's needed to get a vaccine
3: safely out to the public absolutely the other thing i think is really important to understand is that this vaccine for the covid-19 virus it's it they started work on this in january so china sent the genetic code to us in January. And this type of vaccine is called a messenger RNA vaccine. And so that's a little bit of genetic material. And so that is how the vaccine was developed. And the other thing I want people to know is that this is not new. So they first started work on a messenger RNA vaccine in 2003. OK, so for 17 years, there's this history of working on this type of vaccine. And also, messenger RNA vaccine has been developed to treat specific types of cancer. And that also has been going on for about 10 to 20 years. So there's a lot of history of studying this type of vaccine. So to be clear,
0: though, you said it's a piece of DNA that's that somebody... Gets through the vaccine, but it's it's not necessarily the virus itself. It's not like somebody's getting a live virus that's been like deadened a little bit. I mean, it's it's not actually the virus itself. It's just a little piece of the genetic material that codes for the virus. Correct.
3: Correct. It is not a live virus. In or fact, a killed virus.
0: Or a killed virus. Yeah.
3: Right. It is not a live virus, and it's not a killed virus. And actually, there you know there is many um, research labs out there developing vaccines. None of them are using live virus or inactivated virus. Okay, so and it's very important to understand that's a that's a big difference. There is zero chance of you actually coming down with COVID nineteen from this messenger RNA vaccine. And let me explain a little bit more about messenger RNA. So I think everybody's seeing all the pictures and you know of this virus, and it has those little spike proteins that stick up from that round virus molecule. And so actually this messenger RNA is for that protein. It's called the spike protein. And so they have produced it. And when you're given that injection into your muscle, the muscle cells recognize that messenger RNA and it actually starts making some spike protein. It doesn't make the virus. It can't make the virus because it's just a little piece of this RNA. It's not the full complement that could make a virus. It just makes the protein. So your body itself is making the spike protein. Yes. Then then your body goes, okay, that is not supposed to be here. (laughs) And then that's what triggers the antibody response. So then your immune system revs up Against that spike protein. And basically, that is how you develop the immunity. And then your cells go, wait a minute, this messenger RNA is not supposed to be here. And your own cells destroy it. That messenger RNA, it never goes into the nucleus of the cell. It never goes into the nucleus. That is where your DNA is. It doesn't become part of your DNA. It doesn't change your DNA. It doesn't alter your DNA. Basically, it's just it goes in your cells, your muscle cells start making that spike protein and then those same muscle cells destroy it. But in the meantime, your immune system recognizes something's going on here and makes a bunch of antibodies. Then if you ever do become infected with the with the real virus, your immune system will rev up and attack it. So that's how that type of vaccine works. So this is an important place
2: to have our own little mini episode Mythbusters, because one of the things that's flying around the internet is that this vaccine causes infertility. And the way that it causes infertility is that that spike protein is very similar to a protein on the placenta. And from the reading that I've done and kind of the the research that i've gone into it because of course as a fertility doc i don't know anything about vaccines but i know all kinds of stuff about infertility it's the equivalent of saying these proteins are they both exist so it's like saying you know uh a woolly mammoth is a mammal and a human being is a mammal. And and that's about the similarity between the two. I mean, they're both similar, just general types of proteins, but there's really not a lot of cross-reactivity to them. And there's there's no way that these antibodies are going to form and are going to actually cause infertility. And that's something that is really important for our patient population to know because they're already dealing with that issue and and there's no evidence anywhere to suggest that this vaccine causes any infertility issues and Dr. Overman do you have anything to add to that more detail that can help reassure our listeners that hey this is really okay from a fertility standpoint?
3: Yes, I can I can add to that. So this little piece of messenger RNA that comes from the virus that's part of that little spike protein, we don't have anything in our cells or in our DNA that is like that little piece of RNA. It is so different. And the people who are saying that it's similar to your placenta protein, it's it's really just not true. There are people, unfortunately, there's people out there who like to spread rumors and cause problems, I guess, for other people. it's It's really frustrating for those of us in science who, you know, want to just promote the scientific evidence. But Okay, just look at that little virus. We've all seen it. Okay. That is nothing like a human being. There is nothing in the <laughs> RN that virus that is is in us. It is, it is not like any, it does, it's not any of the proteins that's like in a human body. So it's just not true. So if we have a patient that's currently
0: pregnant, we don't know. So we're probably not going to tell them. And like you were saying earlier on, before we started, that probably it's going to be a while before we feel safe giving this to pregnant women. Is there any data or any reason to suspect that if the MRI goes in and then it is destroyed later on, that if somebody say they were two or three months out from wanting to have a baby... Would it be reasonable to consider vaccinating them with this new vaccine or not? Or any any thoughts you have on that?
3: When they start researching for vaccines, they don't start with pregnant women. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately,
0: which is kind of not fair, you know. I mean, I understand, but it's kind of not fair for pregnant women. When they research anything, they don't start with pregnant women. Well, they used to not start with women at all. So at least they include women now. But they really kind of need to include pregnant women in some studies, actually, I think.
3: Well, pregnancy is so complicated that you know you you understand why they don't but so 44,000 people have had the Pfizer vaccine, okay? Probably actually a lot more. Anyway, but um they did not do the research on pregnant women and but I do know, we know what happens in 44,000 people. Somebody's
1: going to get pregnant. (laughs)
3: Yes, (laughs) Yes, some people get pregnant. So, So what they will be doing is they will be studying these women who get pregnant after this vaccine. They will be collecting data for a long time because they will follow them through those pregnancies. They will collect information. And actually, that's what happens with most of our new medications. They don't study the pregnant women. But because women become pregnant who are in the study, then they follow them. They get the information, yeah.
1: In our population, we're we're actually really spoiled because, uh, you know, for general ob out there, a lot of them don't see somebody prior to conception. Our patients are coming to us because they have not conceived. And so... If somebody is starting their fertility evaluation, which is realistically going to take a month or so, and if they end up in a time period or in a situation where they are offered the COVID vaccine, would you think that preconceptually it would be a reasonable thing to do at this point? Or what, what would be, be your words of advice? If, if I have somebody come in, they're like, we need to get worked up. But my job is, you know, I'm a frontline um, responder. My job is offering me the vaccine. Should I get it at this moment? What would be your words of advice? Because we we don't know what to
3: do yet. Well, this virus is a killer. And usually young, healthy women are not going to die or become seriously ill with this virus. But some do. I mean, we certainly have, you know, teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-years-old who become hospitalized. And we do have deaths in those age groups. So this virus is a killer. So if the vaccine is available and it's available to you in whatever situation you're in, I would recommend to take it. Um, We do know that during pregnancy, this virus can be very serious too. During pregnancy, your immune system doesn't seem to work as good. It's harder to fight off infection. And I feel sure someone who's going to go through infertility, they do not want to get COVID nineteen while they're while they like, when they finally become pregnant and then get COVID nineteen. Uh, that would not be what anyone would want to do. So, in in my practice, if a patient asks me and they had an opportunity to get the vaccine, I would say get the vaccine. Like a month or two in advance, you think would be reasonable? Yes. You know, it takes a while to get the, do the immunity. It's a two dose vaccine and it should be two to three weeks apart and, um, optimally, like, I guess, three weeks apart. And after that second vaccine, the efficacy is 95%. That's amazing. That's phenomenal. That is excellent for a vaccine.
1: Now, I this is what somebody else told me. So again, I'm trying to do our own like mythbusters tell us what's true. So, my understanding that 95% efficacy is efficacy for someone not to develop a symptomatic illness. That we don't have the data yet that it actually is 95% efficacious at preventing you from testing positive from a nasal swab of COVID-19. Is that true?
3: That's true. And it's just because they just don't have enough information yet. But it's 95% efficient in that 95% of the people who take it will not develop a symptomatic case of COVID-19. Wow.
1: But that's why even after you get your vaccine, if you are around people, that social distancing and mask wearing
3: is still important, correct? Correct. Yes. You still need to be safe. and and continue to practice the social distancing, mass wearing, hand washing after getting the vaccine. You know, none of us are 100%, and so we don't know who might be that vulnerable person who might get it. So we're going to still recommend they continue all the safety measures.
1: So I know that there's another vaccine that's being formed that might be um it, from my understanding, is it's it's similar in the um, developmental process a, as how they developed the Tdap vaccine. I think it's by a company or the vaccine's called Novavax, and that's something that may be um, introduced a little sooner to pregnant women. It is, is there anything that you might be able to
3: comment on that, Dottie? So there's so many vaccines that they're working on, and that's one of them. But there's really not just, there's not enough information and data yet for me to really comment on it. Um, You know, if it's similar to like Tdap, I think that's going to be a lot more acceptable to women who are planning a pregnancy or becoming pregnant because they're just, we're used to that. Um, But until these vaccines make it through their trials and get approved and go, and go onto the market. And we have all of that data that the science will reveal. It's, it's just really hard to discuss it.
1: What do you, I, I, I keep on thinking of all the things that our patients worry about. And um, one thing that a, a lot of our patients worry about, um, because they're, they're older, and they're, they're worried about kind of risks of what I do to my body this moment could it be could it have a negative effect a year down the line for my child like, is there anything in any data looking at mRNA vaccines that would you would be concerned about a future child having something like autism or something like that? I was
2: just about to say, are you going to bring up the A word?
3: I'm going to bring up the A word because that, <laughs> that's where everybody's brain is. Yes, I know that so many people worry about that. But like I said, they have studied these vaccines since 2003. They've used them in cancer patients. And that's already over decades that that, that this has happened. There, there is no evidence that it causes anything genetic or altering your DNA or anything that would change you, which would then affect a future pregnancy. We we just don't we don't have any information, but we also have no scientific evidence from you know the last 17 years either.
0: Duddy, is that also true of the Moderna vaccine as well? Could you
3: speak a little bit about that? So the Moderna vaccine is the second one that's in the lineup. And actually, they are I believe that they're scheduled for their approval meeting on the 17th, which is this week. So that may be the second one coming out. And um, so... You know, hey, it's good. It's it is also a messenger RNA vaccine. Um, it works the same way, but it's just a little bit different than the Pfizer. But most of the things are very similar. Of all the things that I already told you, very very similar in how it works and how it makes your body make antibodies, which then later, if you were uh, infected with the virus, it would attack the virus. So um, the differences between the two is the first one, the Pfizer has to be kept at a sub-zero temperature or on dry ice. And the Moderna one can be just in a regular freezer. So um, a little bit easier to handle the Moderna one as it comes out.
1: Is there any evidence that you're aware of that one may work better or worse in certain populations? Or is it just too early to tell that type of thing?
3: They're both reporting a ninety-five percent efficacy, so they're they're very similar in um, how effective they are.
0: In your experience working with the health department in Texas, what are your thoughts about the ability of the vaccines to get? to Texas and get dispersed or to other communities like Texas? Um, Do you think that that's, do you think health departments are geared up to be able to do that since they do that with the flu every year? Or do you think this is going to be kind of a unique experience because of all the issues you've discussed previously with the Pfizer vaccine and the temperature?
3: Well, health departments everywhere, all across the country, uh, they deal with vaccine day in and day out. And with this COVID, they have had so much training and meetings and planning and organization, probably more than any history of a rollout of a vaccine. That's fabulous. That's really reassuring to hear that. And this is across the country. That's great. They are, they have been preparing for a while. So, um, you know, the health department, but it's not just the health department because it's going to go to hospitals because the first people who are going to get it is healthcare workers. And so, To get the Pfizer vaccine, you either had to have the special freezer or you have to have the capability to put it into people. You can keep it in the refrigerator for five days or you got to give out all that vaccine in five days. (laughs) So if you don't have the special freezer. So there's been these great plans um, to Rolling out and getting into people very quickly.
1: So exciting! It's so exciting. As many challenges as our world has seen in this last year, I do. You know, I I, I tend to be a let's make lemonade type of person, <laughs> and I I think it is just amazing that you know these scientists and these agencies and countries and these companies and you know we we've been able to come together for a common goal to make something that's going to help so many people and we've been able to do it in this record amount of time that you know as as a physician as, as a scientist it just it makes my heart like almost explode because it just this is why we all went into medicine is to be able to make that impact and and be able to make you know, people comfortable in the world better. And, um, it's nice to see people being able to come together. Um, I mean, it's a terrible situation, but it's amazing to see all of that collaboration
0: happening in, in the world.
3: Absolutely. It's, it's really miraculous.
0: It is. I almost shed a tear when I heard it was approved. I was like, this is the beginning of the end finally. And it's just—it's such a marvelous, you know, testament to how great our scientists are. It's fabulous.
2: Definitely a lot of jumping up and down, thinking, "Okay, we're almost there." Yeah, we're almost to the
0: finish line. Yeah, whatever almost there is.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: whatever almost there is,
0: we can. Maybe next Thanksgiving we can all eat with our family members. It <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> would be great. Yes, it would be. Yeah, it, it would. would, be, would. Well.
1: Dottie, thank you so much for joining us. We um we were talking a few weeks ago and we're like, we need somebody who knows all about this because we're fertility doctors. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I was like, I think I know the person. So thank you so much for joining us. I, I hope you'll join us at some point again. Um, and to our audience, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more. We Also be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you.
2: You can also visit fertilitydocsuncensored.com to schedule an appointment with any of us or submit specific questions you have about infertility. All the questions will be answered on the podcast anonymously for our Ask the Doc segment. So don't hold back, the more embarrassing, the better.
0: All right, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye, Bye everybody. Have you Bye.